You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word this morning. and We thank you, Lord, that we are here searching and believing we're going to get information that's going to help us to learn how to be like you, Jesus. And by doing so, we become better humans. We become more effective in this thing called life. So I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for our online church. And we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see everyone. Um, let's get right into it. So if you would open your Bibles to, because I've got some ground to cover this morning. Luke chapter 6, and in Luke chapter 6, three weeks ago, we started a, a series which is connected to the previous series, which is connected to the previous one all the way back, right? But, um, and it's really called just the Jesus Principle, and the subtitle to the message was How to Be Human. And I think, um, you know, again, for those that haven't been following the whole series, it's up there on podcasts, and it should be, you know, archived on Facebook. We did have some technical issues, so there might be one message not there, but... The point of it is, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not so much the messages, but the, the importance of, first of all, of the timeline, is, you have to understand this, of where the message was preached is also significant. So it's not just, you know, Jesus preached this, it's also when he preached it. And, and this message that we know as the, the Beatitudes um, is known as Sermon on the Mount, very famous message, preached many, many times, you know, thousands of sermons. But it was right at the beginning of his ministry. I mean, if you, if you track it, he picks the disciples, and the next event is the Sermon on the Mount. So this is, you know, you could almost say the, the opening service of Jesus' ministry, right? Like if you start a church, the first service. And this message is really based around human character. This message is really based about how do you face the challenges of life? How do you face the things that everyone in this room has faced and will face? And how do you navigate through them? And in other words, if you read the whole context of the Beatitudes from the, and it's a long, I mean, it's a long disclosure, you know, if you really, we're, we're only picking like certain parts through it, but if you go through it, you're going to realize that what Jesus was trying to get us to understand was a higher way of thinking. This is the key now, pay attention to this, because unless you resolve the, 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 the lower level of thinking, in other words, lower, lower meaning natural, not that it's lower of anything. Just simply, this is natural, and then you got supernatural. All right? That's all it is. It's not that you're less. Just when I say lower level, it doesn't mean you're inferior. It just means there's a higher level. God talks about in Isaiah, my ways are higher. That's what I'm talking about. So Jesus is saying, these are some of the things that you need to resolve within your character for two reasons. One of them, you'll be a better human, but that's not the main reason. The second, or the first reason, I would say that would probably be the second reason for me, is unless you can resolve some of these things, you're never going to get how, you're, ne- you're never really going to understand completely how the kingdom of God works. And what happens is, if you don't really understand the way the kingdom of God works, your understanding of the kingdom of God will probably be a religion, and it will probably be toxic. I'm just being honest with you. And, you know, 
I mean, there's just a lot of things in my spirit I don't want to dig in, but we have to understand that our version of church, this and every church in America for the last, you know, 200 years, you don't really find it in the Bible, just to let you know. Not that it's wrong, but there was a higher dimension or higher calling to what the church was, and it wasn't this. <laughs> you know, we, we say, okay, this is church. So go to church on Sunday, get a little word, get a little star on our forehead, you know, make sure we're still heaven bound and all that kind of stuff. And it was never like that. It was a, a kingdom of God, living, breathing entity that would go through communities, that would go through life, that would go through families and improve the quality of their life. That was the kingdom of God. And then, you know, of course, we had to have fellowship and so forth and so on. But the kingdom of God was the, the reason Jesus was telling you, you need to resolve some of these things. And some of these things aren't easy if you, at the front end, but the more you practice, tell me, I can tell you, I can guarantee you that one of my own personal experience. The more you practice these things, the easier it gets, you know, like bless those that curse you. <clears throat> Holy grunts through the whole auditorium, right? <clears throat> I don't want, I don't like... I mean, how long, you know, I've been doing this almost, you know, in my born-again-again version, almost 30 years. I still don't have it completely down. Oh, you sanctimonious bunch. You're like, oh, pastor. <laughs> so let's go into this. So we've, so we've hit some of these principles. We deal, I mean, these are important things. Is how do you deal with anger? We talked about last week about what is anger. Where is the good anger? Where is the bad anger? Is it an emotion we're supposed to get rid of? No, it's there for a reason. But when you use it other than the reason, then it gets weird. Well, Jesus talked about anger, right? You know, that, that was one of the principles. How do you control it? He talked about what does it mean to actually be able to bless those that curse you? What is he talking about? Which, that was a, I thought that was a really good service, and you really you probably need to go hear that one because unless you understand bless those that curse you at the front, and you're like, I'm not going to do that. No, he's not, talk, you know, he's not talking about that person. He's talking about the benefits that you are going to receive by being able not to be anger and unforgiveness and turmoil because when you're there, you can't think kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense, right? So all these principles, they are hard on the human psyche, but not on the, not on the spiritual side of the human. So when you receive these, you, you go like, well, that's a, that's a hard call. Yes, if you were going to do it from a completely humanistic perspective. Like, if, you know, let's just, let's, just, let's just say this is not a church. Let's say this is a motivational seminar. Say, hey, Y'all don't get mad now, all right? Just be nice to whoever gets, makes you mad. You're like, well, that's a good word, right? And then the next one says, how? <laughs> how do you do that when somebody flicks you off, you know? And then we're Mexicans. That doesn't help. I mean, you know, so I'm going to say all of us, but most of us have some of that running through our blood. And Come on, man. Jesus, you're hard on us, you know? So these principles are really about creating a character in you that God will be able to use. Write that one down. This is just about creating character. Because you're born on this planet, and whatever your parents taught you in your first five years, that's your, that's your personality. And sometimes if, you, if, if, if your parents didn't know what they were doing, you end up with some screwed up kids, right? That, does that mean you spend your whole life there? No. That means you come to Jesus, and you get to reframe the negative things you were brought up with. I have a lot of that. But I can't just walk into Jesus and say, well, that's the way I was born, that's the way I was raised, and I'm just going to be an idiot for the rest of my life. No. God still loves you, you'll still get to heaven, but you will be an idiot for the rest of your life. And no, he will have no friends, and nobody can stand you, all right? So that's not the goal. The goal is, if I have Jesus on the inside, shouldn't there be a point in my life where you could actually see him on the outside? 
That was a good spot for an amen. All right, so you guys are on track, and let's go. So this one, you're going to really love it, I'm sure. But it's powerful. So Jesus teaches us, and I'm just going to read the one scripture, because if I read the whole passage, we will be here a long time. So he, he comes down to Luke 6, 27. And, um, well, I'm sorry, no, that's not it. You're, you're right, Arj, I'm all over this outline here. Luke 6, 38, and I got two translations, because there's a couple things I want to pull out. It says, give, and this is, you know, right in the middle of this disclosure. <clears throat> he actually says it twice, but I only picked one of the, the, the two times he said it. He said, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, we've heard that scripture many, many times, and we use it a lot in, you know, we're going to pick up an offering, so we're going to pull this scripture out. And, and again, no, nothing wrong, you know, but there's, there's depth to that that is beyond money. And that's what we got to resolve, because if, if this message, if you hear this message with a dollar sign attached, you're going to miss the whole thing because it has nothing to do. Generosity, let's, go, let's start with this. This is about generosity, but we have to understand what is the core value of generosity. Why does a generous heart have an enlightened perspective to life? In other words, what does generosity cause in your life? Because human nature, again, and I, you know, we can almost prove it, if you went to the nursery and you have, let's say, not newborns, but you know, maybe a year and a half, and you have like three of them, and you give them one toy, and you're going to see the Adamic nature kick in. You're going to see jealousy and strife and anger and division. And they're like one. Right? Where's that coming from? That's just human nature. So now you're going to have... So human nature, for the most part... Sounds like somebody's blending something. Anyway. <laughs> human nature, for the most part... Not, not everybody's like that. You know, there's just some people you know, that maybe raised different. I'm not just saying it's all spiritual. But it's usually get as much as you can and use it for your benefit and the benefit of your family. And that pretty much stops. And then you can look at the world and the world is crumbling. You're like, well, that's their issue. You know, I got to take care of my stuff. That is usually the human perspective. Again, not, nothing necessarily wrong about that. I believe the same thing. My first priority, your first priority, and I preach this, I've said it to my leaders. And there's been times in my life that I need to apply it. Your first ministry is your family. Hello. First, I mean, don't talk to me about ministry unless you, you're there for them. So when you, when you understand that as a believer, you say, okay, so there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I've got to take care of myself and my family. That's fine. But if it stops there, you're going to really miss one of the greatest things that God can really help you understand this, and that is the system is, and the system and then, and, and I'll tell you how wired we are to that, and again, don't raise your hand, but we've all felt it, I felt it, I'm sure you felt it, you come to a church, maybe you're new to the church, maybe you're recent to the church, or maybe it's a, new, a church you've never gone to, and everything's fine, till the preacher talks about money, and then there's that, mm. why? Because in your subconscious, you are creating a negative perspective on the inside, to protect you from giving any money. That's, that's, what, that's that yucky feeling. That's, like, that's a protection to say, don't give it to that. So again, nothing is, everything I'm telling you is nothing wrong. That's just human nature. So if you accept it as human nature, you're okay, I'm not weird. I'm not just some you know, stingy old man that doesn't want to buy anybody anything. I'm, I'm, that's just human nature. But then here comes the Jesus principle. 
and that's where it's going to get real. Because he's talking about something. Give me the next translation, and you're going to be able to see it now. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure. Now pay attention to this from the Amplified. Press down, shaking together, running over, with no space left for more. And here's where it really gets good. For with the standard of measurement that you use, and what is, he, what is the amplification? When you do good to others. That is the core of generosity. Doing good is the core, not giving money, not volunteering. The core of generosity is we all live in an imperfect world. We all live in a broken world. And if I can keep going down the pipe, we can just make it really miserable, right? And some people have a really bad deal. And some people don't have it that bad. And some people just don't have anything. Some people have a lot of something. But humanity and the Christian heart, and it's all over the New Testament. And it's always all over the Bible, but in the New Testament especially, was to take, even if your circumstances weren't perfect, even, you know, I preach, I preach this in one of the poorest churches I've ever been to. And I told him, I said, you know what, generosity is not about how much you have. It's a heart condition. Because if all you have left is one bowl of beans, didn't Jesus, you know, he didn't use beans, but you can always split it. Right? I mean, everything can be shared almost to a point where there's nothing left, right? Victor Frankl, if you don't know who he is, you need to research him. He was, he's, he's one of my favorite guys. I mean, the guy is amazing. He survived, you know, he's gone now. He's a Jewish, um, I guess, psychologist, and he was put in a prison camp in Germany, and he was going to be terminated, but he didn't, and he would write. And he went from a very prompt position to basically everyday death survival in a prison camp, and he, and he saw something in that death camp that's very, very interesting. And, and, and if you look for Viktor Frankl's books, you'll, you'll, you'll find it. He says, I would notice, because sometimes they would give him old green, nasty bread, you know, and that's all they would eat. They would eat, I mean, either that or starve, right? He said, and I would watch people that would get this old, gnarly, ugly piece of bread or whatever it was, or watered-down soup, and they would get it, and they would hide, and they would consume it like a, like a scared animal. He said, but then I would notice other people that would take that horrible thing and look at somebody that was already dying, that only had a few hours left, and they would break pieces and try to feed them first. He said, and it was amazing to see, this is all in Viktor Frankl's book, that the people that had that heart and compassion, even though their situation was horrible, somehow would survive. And the people that would, because he was a, you know, he was a shrink, I know, psychologist, so you'd study human behavior during this horrible time. And he said, and the people that had that compassion and that generosity, it seems that that would fuel their life. The person that would shrink in and just eat it as fast as he can, he wouldn't be around in a few days, because all these people we're on the point of starvation. I'm not talking, you know, a few, you know, three weeks down the road. We're talking three days down the road. So that, you know, that was a really interesting thing that, that came out of this, this heart of generosity. I'm, not, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But, but really, when we talk about the measure, and that's why I'm saying sometimes we lock it too far into the money thing, and the, and the power of this scripture sometimes gets lost because we only pick that scripture to talk about money. And, that, and that's something a preacher's... And it's not because the measure... Is not just how much I gave. The measure is also how much good I'm doing. Are you here? The measure. 
And we are living in a world, and we're living in a society, and we're living in a community or communities that desperately need some of you to get out of these chairs and do some good and compassion and, you know, bringing words of comfort and not being all religious and just really showing who Jesus is. So the measure to me, you know, it's not, you know, if you're not careful, we always say, okay, whatever I give, I'm going to get back in a lot of it. Well, that's true. That's seed time and harvest. You're not going to change that. But if you're not careful, you miss that the measure... Before it's money, it's your heart. Forget about the money. Let's talk about the measure of that heart. The capacity of a heart to be a blessing. The capacity of a heart to do good to somebody, even though your circumstances are less than perfect. Amen? All right, let's go. You're going to like this. Give me the next one. <clears throat> Luke 16, 11. I was going to really get into this, but it'll take a long time. But we might come back next year. Into, there's some really good stuff in there. So Jesus is, is really... <laughs> having a bad time with the Pharisees. And, and, and in the middle of this disclosure, he says, if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So that really opens up a whole other conversation. Like, so, so there has to be, if there's true riches, there has to be fake riches. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just the way I think, guys. I mean, everything in my head works that way, you know. Everything has to have like a connect, you know, or an opposite, or a reaction, or be reactive in some form. So when you read this, I'm saying, okay, if there's true riches, what are the fake riches? Okay? So just leave that one. Let that one just simmer right there. Okay, go to the next one, RJ. Because God is in, wants you to experience what a true riches is. So we're going we're gonna to come back to that one, but I want to I wanna go to one scripture that's not up there. Well, let me see. Okay, give me the next one, because these are, these are just reference. You can write these down, or you can look them up. I'm not going to go to the whole thing. So let's talk about generosity, and then we're going to bring in this idea of true riches. God is the author of generosity, number one. You know, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll share a little funny story on that one. Every good gift comes from God, James 1.17. Remember that. Every good gift comes from God. And then, in 1 John 3, 17, it all says that God gives us all the things we need. So, so, so you know, once you, once you set that, it's going to get really simple because generosity, like I said, it's a heart condition. It has nothing to do with how much you have. Settle that. So when you begin to talk about true riches, what does that really mean? You know, is he talking about, or, or let me put it this way, what would be the false riches. Well, the false riches, I'm going to give you the simple version. I mean, if you guys want a whole sermon, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But I'll give you the simple version of that one. The, the false riches is simply the trust that you put in money. Thinking money is everything you need. That's the falseness. Because as most of us have found out, we need a whole lot more things than money. Amen? Because, you know, you can have, somebody said this is, all, all, that, all that money does it makes you comfortable while you're miserable. <laughs> you get it? I mean, you're still miserable, but you know, you can be miserable living in the park or you can be miserable living at a resort. You're still miserable, <laughs> all right? So when you, when you settle these two principles, number one, God is the giver of good gifts, okay? Whatever that is, and, and we could break that one up. Number two, God gives you everything you need. Now, when you settle those two things, 
then the idea of generosity becomes really simple. Because whatever I sow, it's not really mine. Because that's human nature, right? It's mine. I look at, I look at my granddaughter. I love her to pieces, but you know, she gets, she gets something. Mine. God nature, for God so loved. That what? Right? You see the connection? God. So, so if you just say, for God so loved the world that he was generous enough to bring his son down. See, now, see, how, see how giving now changes to a different context? Because the word give is kind of like, give. I don't want to. Okay. But generosity is a whole different thing. Because giving is just an action. I can give you a hug. I can give you money. I can give you the time of day. It's just an action. There's no... But generosity is a whole thing. Generosity goes to the soul. You see that? So, so we must develop this. And he says, well, well Pastor, I, I struggle with this. I, I'm really at the end of this, the message, but I'll throw this in there because it's on top of my head right now. You start practicing it with little tiny, tiny baby steps. Oh, I just want to get to the point where I can give Jesus $1,000. Try 10. And be consistent. Well, I really want to develop this generosity. Okay, next time you go to Dairy Queen, buy two meals. Are you, are you tracking with me? That's how you develop it. What am I supposed to do with a second one? Listen to the Spirit of God. That happened to me in this Dairy Queen. That Dairy Queen is real spiritual. I'm standing there in line, and I'm buying this years and years and years ago. We still live in Heavenville, you know, and buying whatever I'm buying. And God tells me, I want you to buy you know, the guy in the back, it's meal. So I, so I didn't know what he wanted, right? I'm not like, you know, he might think I'm weird, like, hey, can I buy you lunch? And like, eh, so. we're not going there. Um, so I kind of waited for him to order, and then I said, I want to pay for that. And he kind of like didn't want to. I said, sir. And he just, he kind of weirded out, you know, like, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I'm going to sound really weird. And I said, well, the Lord told me. He looked at me like, but he took it. Here's the thing. I don't care his reaction. I knew God told me to do it. I don't know if God's dealing with him. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe he's an atheist and, and this is God just trying to, you know, come on, wake you up. Maybe his mom was praying for him. I don't know any of that. And I don't care. All I care is that God gave me an opportunity to be generous. And, there, and that's important because God is trying to set you in a place where you can develop, I'm telling you, this is exciting because when you begin to move with this heart, you're going to find out something. Generous people never lack. <laughs> Generous people never lack. Like, kind of like the Viktor Frankl you know, thing he saw at the prison camp. The ones that hoarded it died. The ones that shared it lived. That's pretty interesting, huh? So if you settle those two points, then you realize that whatever demand God puts on you because, again, I, I keep hitting money, but money's not a thing. Gener- generosity is your time. You know, we're in dire need of people in the church to get involved. I'm telling you people, you know, you don't think it's vital to the church survival? A church has two primary reasons that will survive or not survive. People who love Jesus enough to serve and money. That's, I know that's harsh, but those are the two reasons churches make it or don't make it. You know, I've been doing this 30 years, trust me, I know. So, when, again, I'm beating this one now because I want you to get When you resolve this and God places a demand on your time and you're like, Lord, I don't even have any time right now. How in the world am I going to go serve in church? Trust me, 
God will take some of those things that are very below, that are consuming your time, and fix them so you can give him, hit your time for something that will bring him glory, like sowing a little bit into these kids. Do you see it? And that's where people miss it, like, okay, what is in it for me? Now, that's not the right attitude, but that's still human nature. But generosity, I mean, there, there's a scripture in Proverbs. I just had so many scriptures, I had to delete them. But in Proverbs, it says, the generous man will always prosper. I mean, that's pretty black and white, right? So your time, your willingness, your acts of kindness, a phone call, a text. There's, I mean, when we talk about generosity, it's everything. It's really giving yourself in any form. It can be in the form of money. It can be in the form of a meal. It can be in the form of a conversation. But whatever you give to a person, when it's coming from that place of, of the heart of Jesus, I'm telling you, those seeds, God, God has very, you know, he, t- he keeps track, very, very close track of those seeds. Let's, let's go. On. I'm going to give you some, some information you're going to enjoy. Let's go, RJ, next one. Just skip that one. <clears throat> this is super interesting. Because, you know, most of you know this of me by now, but when I... When I prepare a message, I, don't, I do not just sit in the Bible. You know, I get the message out of the Bible, but then I want to know what the world's saying about the same problems. Because unless, you remember you guys said, unless this translates into reality, what are we doing? Wasting our time, right? We have to be able to take Bible principles and apply them into everyday life. So I went in and did some research, and these are completely secular information that was studied out by the uni- a university in Zurich, Switzerland, and they did a massive research. Over 2,000 people in one, in one research and over 4,000 in another. I don't know how you do these researches, and I don't know who came up with the idea. But somebody decided to track from a, from a you know, psychological perspective what were the benefits or what were the contrasts between somebody that operated with a generous heart and somebody that operated without a generous heart. Isn't that interesting? I mean, this is secular. No spiritual nothing. And this is what they came up. Generosity makes us healthy. This is, they're tracking people. They studied them over a process, I don't know, maybe one or two years. I'm not sure. Generosity makes us happy. They found out that the, that the groups they studied, the people that operated with generosity, tended to have a happier lifestyle. Generosity lowers our stress. Same thing. They studied these people, the people that were constantly being a blessing and helping people. Again, no spirituality, just basically humanism or humanity, you know, whatever you call it. it. It lowers stress. Generosity improves our relationships. Amen? And that one's really simple to see it from a spiritual perspective because, you know, for God so loved the world, he, he loved us, he gave us, and a relationship was created. That's still the same process with any relationship in your life. You love first, you engage, Right? And now you have a relationship. But that g- generosity, and I've always said this, you know, you, you, can, you can give. And some of you do it every year if you have a boss you don't like. You can give without really loving somebody. You know, you've got a commitment. You've just got to do it. But there is no version of loving somebody without giving to them. Amen. Sacrifice, love. I mean, come on, dads and moms, when your baby's sick in the middle of the night, you're there. And, they, you know, <laughs> it's like you give everything. Because there's no version of love not giving itself. Well, let me help you. A love that is not giving itself is a love that's going to die. Because love, to grow, has to be dynamic. In other words, has to be active 
in every time, you know, that's why in, in, in our house, it's almost like a joke, but with my grandkids, it's like every day, you'll hear, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you back. You'll hear that 15, 20 times, if the little baby say it, Caden comes and says, I say it back. I mean, because you have to create that environment. Because love is a dynamic, well, first of all, love is God. It's not a thing, right? And if that God part of love in you is not being processed dynamically, in, especially in relationships, if, I mean, of all the areas, because generosity in a relationship is not just I love you, is loving even when you know that person is wrong. Loving even though that person hurts you. Do you see, what, do you see how, when we talk about generosity, it's so, so, so much more than just, well, I got to give money to the church. It is, it, is a, it, it is a reprogramming, really, of your character. And what happens then? What I say at the beginning, you start moving into that place of kingdom of God thinking. And things, I'm telling you, church, it's amazing. Things stop bugging you as much as they used to. Anybody have experienced that? If, if, if you've been practicing anything I've been preaching for the last six months, you should be experiencing more peace in your life. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Because I'm trying to practice what I preach. I got 10,000 million things I could really be stressful about that I chose not to. Right? And these principles that we're teaching you are for that purpose. And I'm telling you, people, you need to begin. And I know most of you, I'll tell you one thing about this church, an online church, listen to me. You guys are part of this also. This is a very generous church. There is no, there is no hidden agenda in this. I'm not trying to pump up an offering. You know, I, you guys, I'm so far from that, I could care less. I really am. If God can't pay the bills, I'm, you know, I could care less. My thing is, if this church is going gonna, is gonna to continue in what God is calling it to do, and that's some of the things that we're going to talk about this afternoon, well, after this service, these dynamics are going to be, have to be very active. I mean, people are going to know, like, like if you're crazy generous out in the world, they're like, oh, you probably go to that Faithway Church, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome, right? What would, you, what would you rather your church be known for? For being religious and legalistic or givers? And being a blessing? And feeding people and loving people and hugging? I mean, come on. That's where we're going with this. This idea of generosity... You know, well, last one, and it, and, it, and it extends our lives, so give, give me the next one. So that is just science. Acts 10 really brings it home. One really powerful idea, and we're going we're gonna to take a little time here on this one. Acts 10, verse 1 through 4, New Living Version. At Caesarea... And I'll give you guys a little background after I read it. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Remember that, because this guy's an Italian. He's not a Jew. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Let that, you know, pay attention, because it's, you know, everything's building into something. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctively saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius. And he started, I'm sorry, Cornelius started in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked the angel, answered, your prayers, pay attention, and your gifts. Well, if we just, again, if we just change the word gift for, for illustration purposes, and your generosity, because he already said he was a generous man, so I'm not changing scriptures, right? Up, 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 you know, a few lines above, it says he was a generous man. 
So if you change that last line, just to bring the point home, your prayers and generosity to the poor have come up as a memorial to me. That is so significant because I just need to filter things out that I want to say that I'm not supposed to say. Wait, what's wrong with him? He's having a seizure? No, I'm just trying to filter some things out. Um, (laughs) How can we say this? Lord, help me. I know what I want to say. I just got to think about it. This, the idea in this scripture has been taken sometimes so far out into the weirdness of to get people to give you money. That, again, is one of those scriptures that people try to like, eh. But it's packed with such a powerful truth because you got to look at that little word memorial. That word memorial is really significant. The other time there was a memorial, I mean, there's, there's a few, but another memorial offering, if you want to get a, an idea of what, what we're talking about, was, was Hannah when she could not have kids and she asked for, for, her, for, for a kid, right? She's a mom, she can't have kids. And in Jewish culture... If you don't have kids, you're cursed. So it's not just not having kids. Everyone, she was like, you know, oh, you don't, don't hang with her because she's cursed. You can't have kids. So she goes to God and says, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. I, in other words, I want the experience of being a mom. So God answers her prayer. And she nurtures a child, but when the time comes, she takes him to the temple because that's how, that's how, process to be a, a rabbi would you know, the rabbinical school was almost like a boarding school yeah you know they got to see their kids it's like they gave them away and never saw them again but they would go into like a boarding school format and the parents could come and see them here and there but they would be always within it and she brings her, her son back to the temple well guess what happens her next prayer is can you turn it off because now i got six kids That's a memorial offering. And God, you want to get God's attention in your prayer life. But you, the reason i got to be careful, because I do not like, and I will always make my stand very clear, I do not like this idea that preachers go and do not clarify and say, if you give God this, he will give you this much. And sometimes they'll hover around that. And it bugs me a lot. Because now we're... we're you know, we are, we are lowering something that is really important to God because we're God so loved, right? We are lowering it to something almost like a used car salesman. Now, if you're a used car salesman, we love you. But at that level, I don't think God should be reduced to the cheapness of a parlor. Are y'all tracking I mean, th- th- that's always rubbed me the wrong way. And I, and I, and I know ministerial friends that have done it. Not that I, you know, I, I didn't divorce them, but I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. But I made my promise that will never happen in, in this house. And I will never permit it to happen in this house from anybody else. Because to me, this is so precious. This thing's not about money, people. Listen to me. Money is a consequence. Because the principle is still the same. Now, now if you get the principle without the cha-ching sound in your head you will get something that will help you for the rest of your life. But you've got to get that, that little money sound off because if not, then it's just that. And really, I've always, every time where I've preached prosperity in different countries and 
you know, I've always preached that they've invited me to preach prosperity conference. I said, before I, t- I teach you anything on prosperity, money is the last rung on the prosperity ladder. It's part of it, but it's not the most important part of it. Prosperity, first and foremost, is peace and influence. Thank you. That's prosperity, peace and influence. And money has to be at the lowest place. If you put it anywhere else, you're going to screw the thing up. Yes, money is part of it. Yes, we need money. Don't act like, oh, we don't need Okay, yeah, you do. You're going to need money today. You're going to need money tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So money is part of it, but it's never the top. It shouldn't even be in the middle. It's got to be placed in one place. Because what, what he is saying, he says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial. It wasn't the gifts to the poor that came up as a memorial, and it wasn't just the prayers that came up as a memorial. It was the heart behind the action that God got's attention. And let me tell you about what what was going on with Cornelius' heart. This is a really interesting person in the Bible. There should be way more messages talked about Cornelius' heart. First of all, he's not a Jew. He's Roman. He's Italian. These guys are pagan God worshippers. The Roman government had this they had accepted all the gods, basically, the, the Grecian gods and everybody. So this guy has no context of Christianity. So people think that somewhere before this that he heard Jesus. Isn't that interesting? But nobody, there's no historical evidence. But they're convinced that he, that he was in the military, and at some point, him and Jesus, either he heard, of, heard him or heard of him, but heard enough of him to choose to believe in one God, which is crazy because nobody's preached the gospel to him. Nobody said, well, do you want to meet Jesus? Say, oh, Jesus, come into my little heart. He didn't get that. He just, what, you know, he was exposed to Messiah in some form. He began to seek the one and only God. Now, this is completely countercultural for this man because this boy, before he was a man, he was a little boy. He was raised in a society where you can worship whatever God you want. And the idea that you're only going to worship one God, that's, what, that's, where, that's where, if you try to, if you try to, bring evangelism to Hindu people. And you say, will you accept Jesus as your Savior? They're going to say yes. They'll say yes. But guess what? They, already, they also have 600,000 gods. And she's like, you got one more? Put him in the bag. I'll take Jesus too. They have no problem with another one. So this was similar. But for, for, for this mindset to go and to say, no, no. I'm going to destroy everything I was raised on and believe in one true and living God. Isn't that amazing? With, not, with really not the exposure that we have with, you know, the evangelical church, you know, that idea. So to me, that always amazed me. The next thing is, he knew, so this man is saved. But you know what he wanted? He had heard about the Holy Ghost. He had heard about that experience. And he desired it. So he went to God and said, Lord, I need somebody to tell me about this. I'm telling you the whole story so we don't read the whole thing. But you can go back and read it. It's really cool. And he prays, and then this is what happens. And you know who God said? Peter. The number one head of the church. He didn't send, he could have, by this, by this time, there's thousands of believers. Thousands. I mean, in one sermon, 3,000 came to Jesus. So we can assume the church, or the, or the Christ followers, there wasn't such thing as a church, the ecclesia, could have very well been about 
in Jerusalem, about six, 7,000 people at this point. So you've got leadership. You've got people. Then you've got, the, you know, you got the 12. Now they're 12 again because you know, they brought the replacement for Judas and so forth. Then you've got the 70. I mean, you've got, you got a huge leadership base. You probably have two or 300 very qualified leaders. But no, God sends Peter, the head. The number one leading this whole movement is the one that he's going to meet. He's not going to meet anybody else. Think, think about this, because to me, it speaks so much about God's heart. You know, when, when you operate in this idea of generosity, God's not just trying to get you something. He's going to get you the best about everything, because now you're tracking where he is. Where his heartbeat is, boom, 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 boom. Your heartbeat's there. Guys, listen to me. And that spirit of generosity, you don't even think about it after a while. You just look for opportunities. You know, somebody asks you for money in the street. Who, you know, it's not your call if they're going to go do drugs or not. Are you all with me? Now, there's sometimes God will tell you don't give. I mean, come on. <laughs> I've heard that one too. But most of the time, you don't need give. Your spirit tells you. You, you have that, this is what I need to do. You know, this is the right move. But, but the, the, the idea of this scripture is so powerful because Cornelius is just hungry for God. He doesn't, there's, you know, he's like, I, there's something else, God. I, there's something else. I know there's something else. Lord, reveal. But he's, his heart is, he's being generous. He's not being generous to get that. That's the danger when you get under a service or under somebody says, if you give $100, God's going to give you something. That's where the danger is. Listen to me, church. That's where the danger is. Not in the money. The money is just money. It's that heartbeat. And Cornelius is just hungry for God. He's doing things because it's, it's the nature. He got the nature of God. He's being generous because of the nature of God, not because he heard somebody preach on it. Are you listening to me? Don't try to get this message just through your head and say, well, that was a good message. I'm going to practice it. No, this, is a, this, will, this will develop if you are open to it. And I know most of you are, and I know most of you are already there. But it can grow to a point where you're so comfortable with God's presence that, I mean, there, there's been times, and H knows this, and H has been there too with me in some of these. God, God has prompted me to sow seeds that I didn't even have. Freddie, I didn't even have it. I remember writing a check. I mean, I kept, I didn't give it because I don't, you know, I didn't want to go to prison for writing a check for $8,000, you know, but, but I remember Lord dealing with me on, on, on this amount and I didn't have it, <laughs> but I was going to have it a few months down the road. And it was like, <laughs> you know, but I knew in my heart and I can tell you today that it wasn't, it wasn't painful. It was just, I knew I had to do that. It was, it wasn't, you know, nobody influenced me, it was just me, God. But I'll tell you what, this was in 2001, I remember because it was right after 9-11. I can guarantee you that I've seen a hundredfold return on that seed over the last 25 years. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you about any of this. Because the heartbeat of generosity is never, and listen to me, and, and if this comes back to you, just go ahead and talk to Jesus about it, and he'll fix it. But if the heartbeat of generosity is, see what I'm going to get back? I'm going to do something for you, so you owe me a favor? That, that's where it gets weird. Because, that, you know, that, that, the world does that. Come on, church. Come on, the world, that's business. You know, I've been, doing contra- I've been in contracting for 30 years, you know, in some form or fashion. That's business. Sometimes it's illegal, sometimes it's illegal. Th- that's not generosity. Right? Give, didn't Jesus say in the same disclosure, give and don't expect back? But he didn't say don't expect back from God. He said don't expect back from the person you gave to. 
because he went on to say, because if you give, guess what? I'm going to measure you. But he's not going to start by measuring the amount or the time you put in the church. He's going to start measuring your heart. And he's going to measure, are you doing this because you want that person to scratch your back too? Or are you doing this because it's the right thing to do? Or are you doing this because God told you to do it and you don't even know why he asked you to do it? Those are some of the funner ones, right? Why is, you know, but the sensitivity to be open, to be a blessing. Your prayers and gifts. Prayers and gifts. Let that sink in. Being very cautious never to give to get. Now, you'll get, but that shouldn't be the driver. That's it. You'll get. Oh, yeah, you will. Because God doesn't hold back. But it can't be the driver. If it's the driver, you need to, you need to back up. A little soul searching. You and Jesus. Just see, and, and he's not going to beat you down on it. I think that's the best way, to, you know, one of the best things you can do in developing your, your spiritual life is just be honest with God. Come talk to him, man. Tell him what's up. I mean, don't, you know. Don't just all sanctimonious and just say, Lord, <laughs> this is the deal. I know I'm doing this for the wrong motives. Can you help me do it for the right motives? <laughs> check your heart, right? Just check your heart. I mean, this is not hard. You guys are so quiet. All right. <clears throat> Last one. Just a couple notes. Uh, give me, if you keep something, that's all you're ever going to have. Right, Liz? That's it. Whatever you keep, that's all you're ever going to have of that. But when you find the ability to be generous, this is the God part, this is where it gets really cool, the generous heart will always, always have something to give. Always. I mean, and sometimes you don't even have it, but God will, you know, God will make sure you have it by the time you need to give it. By living a life of generous generosity, you bring your part, your part of making this life on this earth better. You know, not one of us can change the situation. We're not even supposed to. You know, we can get all worked up about what's going on in Washington. And, and you know, like I told you last week, your, your best call is to vote, and you should. And, and, you know, divorce yourself from, oh, I'm this party, I'm that party, and start looking at reality of where we're at. That's the only thing you can really do. But now we come to our real world. Now, I don't live in Heaven, Bill. Right? You guys do. Think about all the little things that everyone in this town, let's just assume that everyone in the whole town was kind of on this, on this trip right now. Do you think Heavenville would be a lot better place? People helping each other, you know, somebody, you know, somebody that can't, maybe health conditions can't cut their yard and you walk by it, you go, yeah, I can do that. You know, just go get the lawnmower and take care of it. Think about what the community would feel like. I mean, well, the passion, that's not going, okay, that might be fantasy. Well, let's bring it to something that maybe could happen. What if the church community was like that? What if we were all really concerned about everybody's needs, not just ours? Because church is a weird place. You know, like, like I said last week, you know, we, you know, we put the mask on, and, and most people aren't that comfortable to come into a church and say really what's going on with their life. But the dynamic of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, was it, and, and I'll talk about that you know, like in our leadership meeting, is it was about... And you've got to understand, first century was horrible. I mean, the situation of people and death and disease and everything. But the church was really this breathing entity 
completely counterculture to the culture of its time that was out there reaching into people's lives and trying to help them and trying to feed them and the widows that had been abandoned. And if a widow didn't have help, she'd become a prostitute. And the church was there like, no, no, you don't have to be that person. Come on, we'll take you and read it. It's right there in the book of Acts. They were helping the widows. They were helping the orphans. They were helping the downtrodden. It wasn't about a building and a sound system and, and LED lights. It was nothing like that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, let, let's, get the, let's get the heartbeat right. This is nice. We've got a comfortable little room. But this is not what it's about. I'm losing y'all. Get the, the heartbeat of God, I'm telling you, and I'm going to close with this statement, is in the generosity. Because the whole thing started for us, for God so loved the world. That's where it started. If you want to go back to the basics, that's the basics right there. There's no, there's no more basics than for God so loved the world. You get something out of all that this morning? Go ahead and stand with me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You say, well, that was short. I'm hungry, that's why. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I, know, I know when I got, I've said enough. And I really, my prayer is that, the, you, you know, watching online or watching it in-house, let the Spirit of God deal with you on this. And you say, Pastor, I'm already a generous person. That's awesome. And then what you do, is then you just ask God, give me more opportunities to be generous. If you're already a generous person, then ask for more opportunities. If you're still struggling with this, then I said, God, make me a generous. Put a generous heart in me. Let me have the heartbeat that you have. I should have put the Proverbs scripture, but you can look it up. It just basically says that. He says, a generous heart. No, a generous man will always prosper. That's pretty. 